The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son. Give us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living, that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The word of the Lord. A reading from 1 Peter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though this were something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if if the righteous is scarcely saved... What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, for calling us into your family, for making a way for us to come um, into your kingdom. And Lord, we um, invite uh, your presence, your spirit um, to lead and to guide us as we continue in this service today. Teach us, Lord, we pray. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Be seated. When I was in college, I had an um, opportunity to um, spend a few weeks traveling around um, Europe uh, with a, a friend of mine um, named Pete. Um, and uh, uh, Pete and I, um, uh, one of the games we would play as we were traveling around, if we were in sort of a crowded place, a train station, a cafe, was Spot the American. Uh, we'd see uh, who could be the first person to spot um, the American, American in the, the crowd as we looked around. Um, and uh, this is a little competition, so we knew sort of the key things to look for when you're trying to figure out who the American is. Um, at least at that time, and this was 1991, so a long time ago. Uh, but um, the shoes Americans wore were very different from European shoes. Um, and so usually if you looked at shoes, we were like, that's got to be an American. Um, if that didn't work, um, the fanny pack uh, was always a, um, uh, a kit. Um, we didn't see a lot of Europeans wearing fanny packs. I don't know if travelers still wear fanny packs, but they definitely did then. And we could say, I bet that's an American. Um, if that didn't work, the big guidebook was always um, a, a sign. They're walking around carrying a big guidebook, unashamedly um, flipping through it. Um, and if that didn't work, it is true, um, at least it was then, Americans are loud, um, and that was often a key to spot the American. And every once in a while, we would think we had spotted an American, and then we'd get closer to them, and we'd see they were wearing a little maple leaf pin. Canadian, right? A Canadian who wanted you to know, I'm not an American, right? I'm a Canadian. So we were like, ah, Canadians. No, no offense to any Canadians. We love Canadians. So um, I want to, in a sense, play a game today on this All Saints Sunday of Spot the Saint, we ask the question, what do we look for if we're looking for saints, right? If we're saying, how do we spot the saint? What are some marks of a saint, right? Just like we were like, ooh, those shoes tell me that person's probably an American. What are the things that we see and we say, that looks like a saint? Now, how does the scriptures define saint? What is a saint? The word, as many of you probably are aware, just means holy ones. 
right? And we see in the scriptures that to be a holy one, basically, is to, to be one who has placed our faith in Jesus and has received holiness from him, right? That we are made holy through his um, death and resurrection through faith in him and receiving new life, right? Through being born again in him. And so that's why we say on this All Saints Day, yes, we remember um, great saints, those who we celebrate um, uh, throughout history and in our lives that have um, demonstrated Christ's likeness to us, but we also celebrate we are saints in Jesus through faith in him. But as we read the scriptures, we also see, again, descriptions of this is what a saint looks like. This is how a saint lives. This is the fruit you should expect to be born in a saint's life. As we read those things, we can approach it and say, oh, this is who I am. Right? This is how I am to be identified. Right? I think sometimes, again, we read those things as this great pressure upon us. And rather, it's an invitation to say, this is who you are. Live it out. Right? Live consistently with your identity as a saint. And so I want to consider, again, marks of saints, and specifically looking at this First Peter passage, I want to consider what are questions that saints ask. Some um, questions that I believe grow out of this First Peter passage that are marks of saints. Right? When you hear these questions being brought before the Lord, that to me speaks to the way a saint um, uh, questions things. And again, questions the Lord or brings questions to the Lord. That first, the first question, again, looking at our First Peter passage, um, is, Lord, how are you testing me? How are you testing me? A question that a saint asks, I would suggest, of the Lord. Not, are you testing me? Not why are you testing me, not that those are bad questions, but actually, how are you testing me? I'm assuming, Lord, that there are ways in which you are testing me. Help me to see that. Help me to respond to that. If you look at the beginning of the first Peter passage, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. We'll just stop right there. We'll get to the rest of the verse, but stop right there. And just let's just note, it's significant that this point in the letter of first Peter, that Peter is still saying to them, don't be surprised by the fiery trials that come upon you. If you've been with us in this series, or if you've read the book of 1 Peter, you know there's a lot about suffering in, in 1 Peter. This was a congregation or congregations, probably a group of churches that were experiencing persecution, right? we're experiencing suffering, we're probably asking the question, look, we've placed our faith in Jesus, we've trusted in him, and yet our lives have gotten harder, right? There are difficulties we're facing. And again and again in the book, right, Peter reminds them, right, your suffering does not mean that God has rejected you. Your suffering does not mean that God doesn't see you. He is with you. He's actually working in the midst of the suffering. And yet again, at the end of chapter 4, he once again says to them, don't be surprised. Right? Because he probably understands they are surprised. Right? We're surprised. Right? When we face suffering, inevitably, I think this is true probably for most of us, we ask the question, why is this happening? How can this be happening? Why is this so hard? We're constantly surprised by suffering. And in one sense, we should be. Right? Because as I spoke about last week, right, this is a fallen world. This world is not the way it was meant to be. Right? That sin has broken into the world and does bring destruction, does bring suffering. And to be people made in the image of God, which is true of all people, right, then we sense that this isn't right. This doesn't seem right to me. Right? Again, I think that's generally shared among all people. There's a sense in which when we experience suffering, it shouldn't be this way. And we experience that especially as Christians, right? Because we know we have a good and loving God. And so we ask the question, why, if you are good and loving, why, if you're for me, Lord, would I experience fiery trials? Right? We're surprised by it. But of course, Peter heard Jesus say on the night before he died, on the night, before, on the night he was betrayed, right? Before he died, he heard Jesus say to him and the other disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. 
Right? Jesus was warning them. He didn't you know, make a false promise to them. Hey, don't worry. As long as you follow me, you'll never experience suffering. Right? He said the exact opposite. Because you follow me, you're going to often experience trouble. Don't be surprised. Again, it doesn't mean that suffering is right and good, but it does mean it's part of what we experience. But he gives more there, not just saying, don't be surprised at the fiery trial, but don't be surprised when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He's telling them, God works in the midst of this suffering, God works in the midst of these trials to test you, and you should expect that. That's why I said, you know, a question that a saint brings to the Lord is, how are you testing me? Okay, I've been warned in your scriptures that you will test me. How is that happening? Help me to see, help me to respond to that test. Now, what do we mean by testing? What, what, what kind of testing do we experience in the Lord? Well, actually, that term fiery trial, I think, helps us even get some insight into the, the testing. Um, fiery trial, in one sense, captures, right, these trials are difficult, right? They're fiery, right? I mean, they are um, hard to endure, but fire often um, is often used um, throughout the, the New Testament, we see this, as a source of refining, right? That, that fire actually can burn out impurities, sort of like a fever, right? Killing a, a virus, right? Or in metal work, right? They burn the impurities out of precious metals and they're refined. I think there's an element of when he speaks of the fiery trial, he's acknowledging there is a testing that takes place through chi- trials that grows you in holiness, that in a sense grows you in your sainthood. Right? That, that the Lord is using that to burn away some of these things, to call you to greater maturity. But there's also an element of the test that's like a test we take you know, in school, right? or, or you know, some sort of test we take maybe for in our job to, to progress in our, our work, right? that it's evaluative, it's, a, it's an assessment. And you know, probably all of us, when we've taken tests, when we do well on a test, that's encouraging. Right? We say, oh, good, I, I've, I've learned something. Right? I actually I passed this test. Um, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm growing, right? And I believe the Lord tests us to show us, right? Look how you're growing. Look how actually you are becoming more and more like Jesus. Look at how the Spirit is at work in you, right? Now, sometimes we take a test and we don't do so well, right? And we probably feel, you know, discouraged, but it's also an opportunity. I say this to my kids all the time, right? To say, all right, apparently there's some things I still need to, to learn, right? There's, there's some ways in which I need to grow. And that too can be a result of testing, does the Lord test us as an opportunity to see, oh, this is an area God wants to grow me in. He wants to refine me. I want to be clear, though, when we talk about the Lord testing us, when we bring that question to him, Lord, how are you testing me? We are asking that of one who wants us to pass the test, who wants us to grow, who is not testing us in order to discourage us, but to, to call us forward. And again, if you've taken a test before in a class or in some sort of situation where you had the sense of, I think actually this teacher doesn't want me to pass. It can be very discouraging, right? When you come to a test, you're like, nobody told me this would be on the test, right? That's what we complain about to, to teachers. That's what I would always complain about, right? Don't you want me to pass the test? The Lord wants us to pass. He wants us to grow. But he challenges us in that. Um, I, a couple weeks ago, referenced a podcast um, uh, uh, by an author named Michael Lewis. Um, this time I have a book, uh, referencing a book by Michael Lewis. I'm kind of on a Michael Lewis um, kick, but uh, he's a, a fascinating author, um, journalist. Um, and he has this book um, called Coach. It's actually a very small book. It's more like an article. But it's about um, a coach who um, really influenced him, a guy named Coach Fitz. Um, uh, he was his, uh, Lewis's baseball coach. Um, and uh, kind of apparently in the you know, area where um, Lewis grew up, a, a well-known coach. Um, and known for being super intense, super challenging. 
Um, but Lewis actually writes the article because he's talked with people at the school, the school where he grew up and where this uh, man Fitz continues to coach, and he's heard that a lot of parents like, no longer like Coach Fitz, that he's kind of on his way out because people are so discouraged or um, upset, don't like you know, how challenging he is. And so Lewis is fascinated by this because he's like, this guy changed my life. I love this guy. Am, am I unusual in that? And one story he shares about Coach Fitz, which I think just captures well sort of the intensity of this guy, is apparently um, his baseball team, Lewis's baseball team, when he was under this coach, was, was really good. But there was one time where they got second place in a tournament. And they felt pretty good about, hey, we got second place. This was a tough tournament. And I guess Coach Fitz held up the second place trophy and said, you guys want to know what I think is second place? And then smashed it on the ground and um, pieces of the uh, trophy went everywhere. And so, intense. So anyway, so Lewis is trying to figure out, you know, am I unusual in that I appreciate his intensity? And he talks to one of the parents who doesn't like Coach Fitz and says, look, Peyton Manning, you know, quarterback of the Colts, um, he had Coach Fitz um, uh, as a coach uh, when he went to this high school, and he hated him. So talk to him. So Lewis reaches out to, to Peyton Manning to find out if this is true, and this is what Manning said to him. As far as the respect and admiration I feel for the man, I couldn't put it into words. It's just incredibly strong. For me personally, he prepared me for so much of what I faced at the college and pro level. Unlike some coaches for whom it's all about winning and losing, Coach Fitz was trying to make men out of boys. I think he prepares you for life. Obviously, this parent had some bad information, right? Because Peyton Manning was saying, look, this guy prepared me for life. He prepared me for my career. Now, I'm not saying God is like a really temperamental coach, uh, to be clear, I am saying at times we may feel like, Lord, what do you want from me? Like, why are you testing me? And the Lord is actually saying to us, because I want more of you. I actually want to continue to see you grow. Right? I love you so much that I want, again, you to become more and more like Jesus. That's what I, I want of you, because I, I love you and, and, and I'm not satisfied for you staying where you are. Again, he loves us no matter what, but he calls us forward. He calls us to growth. So how are you testing me? The second question I believe that I see at work in this First Peter passage is, where are you? Where are you, Lord? Now, not in the sense of, are you here? Right? We trust and we receive the promises that the Lord is with us. Right? In this Baptism Sunday, we remember the Great Commission when Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, said to his disciples, you know, go forward, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he ends the Great Commission by saying, and I am with you always. So when we ask, where are you, right, it's not to deny that the Lord is with us, but rather, Lord, how are you with me? Right, where are you? Where are you at work in my life? Where, uh, where are you, you know, growing me and, and um, uh, with me? And so when we look at uh, the First Peter passage, look at the different ways he affirms to them, the Lord is with you and here is how he's with you. If you're asking the question, where are you, Lord? Well, here are some of the answers. Rejoice, verse um, 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Where is the Lord? He's actually right there beside you, with you in your suffering. And actually, in your suffering, you are sharing in his sufferings. You have that level of intimacy with the Lord that you're actually, as you suffer, sharing in his sufferings. You're being drawn closer to him. Where are you, Lord? The second half of verse 13, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He is revealing his glory to you. And yes, that's anticipation of a future coming glory, right, where we will receive and see the fullness of Christ's glory, but even now we get glimpses, or even now we get foretastes of the glory to come. 
Where are you, Lord? Right? And the Lord would say to us, I'm showing you my glory. I'm, I'm giving you again a foretaste of the glory to come. Even in the midst of the suffering, you're seeing who I am and how I ultimately will glorify myself. Where are you, Lord? If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. I am actually resting upon you. Others are saying you should be ashamed, but I am saying to you that I am glorifying myself through you, that my spirit is at work in you. Why would Peter be so bold as to say this? Again, because he heard Jesus, right, when he preached the words that Deacon Cheryl just read to us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Peter is saying, right, you know, this is where the Lord is. He's at work. He's, he's drawing you closer to himself. And so we can ask the question, where are you, Lord? Both where are you in my life? Where are you at work? Open my eyes to see you, to, to trust you in this. But we can also ask the question, where are you, Lord, in the lives of others? Where are you, Lord, as I look at my community? Where are you, Lord, as I come alongside a friend? Where are you, Lord, as I pray for others? Show me how your work there. Help me to see the way your glory is resting upon them, the way you are growing them, even through their suffering. And at times, as the Lord leads us, I believe that's a great thing to share with others, to ask that question, right? That's the great saints I have known and have experienced in my own life have been those who say, where are you, Lord? And then are able to, to say and share in appropriate ways, hey, here's how I see the Lord at work. Here's how I see him actually ministering to you. Now, I encourage you as you think about this to both consider being bold and being humble, right? And sharing sort of where are you, Lord, with others, right? There is a level of boldness, right? Especially, I, you know, I think in different cultures, right? In different kind of cultural expectations, it may feel very bold to say to someone, hey, I just wonder if God's working in this way. Hey, as I've been praying for you, as I've been watching you, I just see God at work in this way, right? That, that feels bold. Right? But we can be bold when we do it with humility. Right? I'm not saying to you, I know how God is working in your life. I'm, you know, I'm sure I have insights you know, beyond what you could ever have. But humbly saying, hey, this is my sense. Right? As a fellow member of the body of Christ, here's how I see God at work. Here's actually how I see your faith strengthened and growing um, through this. Here's how you blessed me. On Wednesday night, we had um, a time set apart um, service, and um, as we do at that service, we um, had a time where there was just open for prayer, and people could come forward to receive prayer or pray um, where they were, and I was available as a um, prayer minister um, during that time, and someone came to me, and they prayed for me, right? I mean, that's bold, right? I mean, I'm the prayer minister, I'm the pastor. They came and said, I actually want to pray for you uh, uh, boldly. I just had this sense that this is how I'm supposed to pray for you. But they offered it humi- humbly, right, saying this is just my sense as we're praying, a, a way I feel like God's calling me to pray for you. Um, and it deeply blessed me. Right? I was so glad, right? They were able to name something to see a place where the Lord is at work that really I wasn't seeing. And I needed that. So where are you, Lord? How are you at work? Where are you, Lord, in my life? Where are you in the lives of others? Help me to see. And finally, a third question um, we can ask is, who do I trust? Lord, who do I trust? Again, we know, right answer is me, right? I mean, that, that's the right answer from the Lord that we should hear. You should be trusting me. Trust the Lord. But again, we can ask that question to the Lord with humility. Who am I trusting right now, Lord? I know I'm supposed to trust you, but am I trusting other, other things, other people before you? 
Again, it's not wrong to trust other people. It's not wrong to trust resources that the Lord has provided for us. But to come with humility to the Lord and say, am I trusting those things before you? How am I trusting you? And again, I think Peter actually, in what he says, is acknowledging it is a challenge at times to trust in the Lord. We are called to trust in him. He calls us to trust in him. But he acknowledges um, that it's challenging. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. He's saying that because he knows there's a temptation that they have. If I'm suffering, why should I obey the Lord, right? If, if obeying the Lord leads to suffering, why shouldn't I just go ahead and do evil? He's saying, don't, don't do it, right? Don't give in to that temptation. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Right? He's acknowledging, right, that to suffer as a Christian, right, the temptation, the um, the, the voice we will hear from the world is, you should be ashamed. But don't, don't allow that to happen, right? Turn away from that and trust in the Lord. And then he acknowledges, again, the Lord will judge, right? This is a theme we've seen in the last um, few passages we've looked at. And he quotes from, the, from Proverbs. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Right? He's not denying our salvation, that we have salvation in the Lord. But he is emphasizing the holiness of God. That God is holy, and we rightly should be in awe of him, right? That his ways are above our ways, right? That we see just, you know, a small little bit where God sees all things, right? Where his goodness is, is all-encompassing, right? He is completely good. He is completely light, right? And the fact is when we acknowledge the holiness of the Lord and how much greater he is than us, right, that actually points to at times it's hard to trust him, right? Because he is so, again, above us, even though he's very present with us, that actually makes it difficult to trust him. Verse 19 captures that. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He is creator, we are creature. And yet, we're called to trust in him. I see it analogous to a, a child right, being brought to the doctor right, by um, a, a parent. And the parent right, says to the child, okay, we're going to go, um, and the stranger you don't know is going to um, p- take out a needle and um, cause you a lot of pain, but it's good for you, right? I mean, this is actually a good thing, right? The child, understandably, is going to think, that doesn't seem good, right? This seems very problematic, and yet hopefully the parent hopes that the child also thinks, but in general, this parent has shown themselves to be trustworthy, right? They feed me, they take care of me, usually they tell me the truth, right? I probably should trust them in that, right? Maybe we're overthinking how a child thinks, but that's certainly as a parent, that is my hope, that I've earned your trust, that when things don't make sense from your point of view, that you would trust that they are right and good if I'm telling you so, right? We're often in that place, right? This doesn't make any sense. And we remember, but I'm a crea- creation, he is creator. And so actually that question, who am I trusting, is both am I trusting you, Lord, but also behind that question is, who are you that I'm trusting in? Who am I trusting? If I am trusting in you, who are you, Lord? Let's just recall some answers that Peter gives um, uh, in um, this book of First Peter. Who are you, Lord? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And who are you, Lord? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And who are you, Lord? For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so, again, as we... Um, 
celebrate this All Saints Day, I encourage you right, to turn to the Lord, to as saints of God, right, to bring those questions to him. Right? How are you testing me, Lord? Where are you? And who do I trust? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you um, that you do not give up on us, that you call us to a greater, greater walk with you. We thank you, Lord, that even when we experience suffering, um, you are working um, to call us to yourself. We thank you, Lord, that when we experience um, an ease of suffering, when we experience great joy and freedom, you are there calling us more and more to yourself, Lord. I pray for each person here um, that um, uh, they would um, uh, bring their questions before you, a trusting in you as a faithful creator and Lord and Savior. And we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.